I wanted to do a sermon series, but that, that changed. That changed about 1 o'clock this morning, so uh, I'm going to preach what I feel the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. Is that all right? And so I do know, now I do know that when you read Scripture, that um, there is a truth found in Scripture that should run through Scripture, because Scripture interprets Scripture. I, I understand that, that one of the problems with some churches is that they pick one Scripture and build a whole denomination upon it. And we can't do that. That's not rightfully dividing the word of truth. That's not how you interpret Scripture. I understand that. That if there is a truth found in the passage or in the context, then that truth should back up other Scripture. It should be a running theme throughout Scripture. And we have a danger, some Christians have a danger, of just reading something and making up their own theology. And you can't do that. Everybody say, you can't do that. I remember the first church I pastored in Cynthiana. Sean, you can testify this. I got up and said, now my first church, I was 21 years old, I think. And I come to the church, the church just split, the pastor was 86 years old, and I'm 21. Okay? And so I thought I was dying. I was like, I don't know if I can do, I don't know if I can do this. This is hard. You know, people mad, people don't talk to each other. People just mad at each other. So I just felt like, well, the quickest way to get people together is start having dinners. Am I right about it? Just bring people together. And so I got up and said, now, now church, tonight we're going to eat together at 6 o'clock. No joke. I am not kidding you. I had one woman, is, is it Sister Parrish? Sister Parrish stood to her feet right in the middle and said, Pastor, you know, I'm 21 years old and I'm freaking out. She said, Pastor, we can't eat in this church because the Bible said you have homes to eat in. So I just, and also, well, the Bible also says, you know, women should cover their heads too. The Bible also says that, you know, I could really tell you other scriptures. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm, I'm thinking this. The Bible says a lot of things. But you're not reading it in the context. Somebody help me out. So does, do women have to cover their heads with a covering when they pray? According to Corinthians, no. You know, I don't see any women in here covering your heads when you pray. You know, so you've got to read it in the context. Because if you don't read it in the context, how many knows you can come up with anything? And that is, no, listen, that is why churches are ordaining marriages that should not be ordained because they take Scripture out of. When you take a text out of context, you make it a pretext for anything you want to have. So everybody say you've got to stick with the context. You've got to understand. I understand that. But what I want to do this morning is I want to read a Scripture and see how it's applicable to your life. It's, it's inspiration, it's applicable, some life principles out of this Scripture that you can chew on for the week and that it can relate to your life. Now, those principles are found throughout Scripture, but I just want to uh, zero in on this particular passage this morning and look at a few things that I think is applicable. If you look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 27, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 27, Matthew 
when Jesus departed from there, two blind men, everybody shout blind men, two blind men followed him crying out saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows this. And when they had departed, they spread the news about him in the countries. I want to preach on the thought, Lessons from Matthew chapter 9. Lessons from Matthew chapter 9. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your many wonderful blessings. Open up the Word of God to us. Let us see what you want us to see today and only what you want us to see and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everybody shouted a great big amen. How many would agree with me that you can live righteous and still not be well? That you can live righteous and still not be well? I believe that one of the things in life that we fail to realize as believers is that your presence has a purpose in life. Your presence has a purpose in life. And sometimes I believe that some of us have injured faith. Some of us have timid faith. Some of us have sick faith. Some people have strong faith. And I believe that as we progress with God, that if we're not careful and we don't keep our perspective right, and we don't keep our heart right, then our faith becomes injured. Our faith becomes injured or it becomes tame where we're not willing to believe God outside of the box. Sometimes we're so confined to the box because we have been so disappointed in life that we don't have the courage to believe God for anything in life. And I believe that if you look at Scripture, one of the unifying things in Scripture about men and women that ever did great exploits for God is courage. They had courage to do it. And you don't hear a lot about being courageous or you don't hear a lot about people being, courage, uh, being courageous in Scripture, but you do see the act of people being courageous in Scripture. You see great men and great women being used by God not because they had great talents, not because they had great gifts. It's because they were courageous and they made the decision to do it in spite of their weaknesses. If you are waiting to be perfect, if you are waiting for everything to line up for you to do what God wants you to do, then my friends, that will never happen. Because God requires you to step out and be courageous. God requires you to step out and walk in faith. Even when you feel disqualified, even when you feel underqualified, even when you feel inadequate, even when you feel like you can't do it, it has nothing to do with your ability it has everything to do with His ability and His power working in your weakness so that He would get the glory. My friends, if it was based upon your giftings, if it was based upon your calling, if it was based upon your anointing, then you would get the glory for it. You would get the glory for it. But God's purpose is that your life would be a billboard for God's glory. Your life should be a billboard for God's glory. And the only reason, and the only reason that God can get the glory in your life and through your life is that you've got to be courageous enough 
to let him use you in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your faults, in spite of your inadequacies. You've got to give him permission to use you, and you've got to give God permission to use your life even though you don't think your life measures up to the point that you think it needs to measure up. Because it's not about you. It's about God getting the glory. And the only reason and the only, the only reason that God can get the glory in your life is by using you even when you are weak. God confounds those things that are mighty by using those things that are weak. And you've got to ask yourself this question. Am I willing to allow God to use me in spite of me? Mic drop. Is that some kind of supernatural sign from God? No, if it drops another time. So you've got to ask yourself the question, can God use me in spite of me? And I believe that the greatest hindrance why God don't use people is because it's not because of the devil, and it's not because of some kind of secret sin, because I think that for the most part, we're sin conscious, we, we repent of it. But I think for the most part that God doesn't use us to the full potential is because of us. We become the hindrance. And listen, you talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you. I don't care how long you've been married, you talk to yourself more than your spouse talks to you. You talk to yourself more then anybody else talks to you. And your voice is one of the greatest voices in your life. And you have the potential to disqualify yourself in the service of God by listening to your own voice. And that is why you've got to change your perspective and you've got to start speaking what God says about you. Do you know that the word confession, get this, the word confession in the New Testament is the Greek word which means to say the same thing. So when you confess that Jesus is Savior, you are confessing the same thing He says about Himself. When you confess your sin, you are saying the same thing that God says about your sin. I repent, my sin is an abomination. You are confessing exactly what God said about your sin. So therefore, your voice is the greatest voice that you have in your life. And you've got to make a decision that your voice has to confess the same thing that God says about you. Because if you don't confess what God says about you, the world will label you. The world will confess something over you. The school will confess something over you. Your, you know, your friends will confess something over you. And that is why your voice is the greatest voice in your life. You can either agree with the confession of God or you can agree with your own voice, but every day you are agreeing with somebody's voice and you are agreeing with somebody's story. What story are you telling yourself? What voice are you listening to yourself? And there comes a time in your life that you've got to listen to the voice. You've got to say the same thing that this is saying about yourself. You've got to say, you've got to confess 
the same thing this book is saying about you, in spite of how you feel about yourself, in spite of how you think about yourself, in spite of what they said about you, you've got to rewire your mind and rewire your lips to say the same thing this book has said about you. Because if you don't say it, you will live a defeated life. You will live a defeated life. And listen, listen to this pastor. You can either be powerful or you can be pitiful. But you can't be both. You're either powerful or you're pitiful, but you can't be both. You cannot be both. You've got to be either powerful or pitiful. What is it, ladies and gentlemen? What is it, my friends? What have you decided to do? Are you going to say the same thing that God says about you? Or are you going to say what you think about yourself? Because what you think about yourself is not always true. And do you know why it's not always true? Because you have an Adamic nature, a nature from Adam. So what makes you think that everything you say to yourself is right when your nature has been corrupted by sin? Should I drop this microphone again? What makes you think? It's, 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 it's interesting to me that most people believe everything you think about yourself. When your nature is corrupted by sin, and if your nature is corrupted by sin, then you've got to hear another voice, a voice that's true, a voice that's accurate, a voice that is holy. You've got to make that decision. And what is it? What is the voice that you decide to hear? What is the voice that you decide to hear? It's interesting to me that this Scripture... Let me ask you this question. What separates people from being fruitful in life and people being unfruitful in life? What is it that some people seem to have it together? And let me just say it, nobody has it together. You know, looks are deceiving, but nobody has it together. But what makes, what separates people from being fruitful and unfruitful? And I believe one thing, it's not because people are more gifted or more talented, it's because, my friends, it's because they are courageous to believe God. They are courageous to be powerful instead of pitiful. They're courageous to step out on the waters like Peter and keep their eyes on Jesus. And even though you fell and even though you sink, you still have the ability to reach out your hand and you keep trying. Because you mess up don't mean you need to give up. Now, this scripture is off, not a part of my sermon, but I want to remind you of this scripture. So if they could put it behind me, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 1. Look at this scripture. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 1. I want you to see who the writer, I'm not sure who the writer is of Hebrews, there's speculation, but the writer here uh, is said something that's powerful, that if you would tune in your spiritual ears and your heart, you can see what he's saying here. He said uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Now get this. Everybody look at Pastor Josh. I said a few moments ago that the word confession, the word confession means what? To say 
Come on. To say the confession means to say the same thing. So when I repent of my sin, I am saying to God the same thing that God says about my sin. My sin is an abomination. I confess my sin is an abomination. I confess it is my fault. I confess it's my most grievous fault. I am confessing what God said about my sin. When I confess that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, when I confess that I am more than a conqueror, when I confess I'm the head and not the tail, when I confess that I walk in victory, when I confess that I'm justified and sanctified, I may not feel it, but I am saying the same thing that God said about me in Scripture, and that's what it means to confess. Now look at this Scripture. I'm about to do a Pentecostal hoedown on this stage this morning. Can I hear an amen? Hee-haw has nothing on me this morning. Can somebody wave your hand and say, just preach on a little bit. Are you ready? Therefore, my holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, listen, consider the apostle. Now, who, what is an apostle? And an apostle is the word which means the sent one. So it says, my holy brethren, partakers of the holy calling, consider the apostle. What does the word apostle mean? To send, to send, or to send one. And the high priest of our confession. So that tells me, when I confess what God says about me, Jesus becomes an apostle of what I say, and He is sent to the Father, and He tells the Father, that person is agreeing with the word that was spoken. Can somebody wave your hand and say, I want to agree with the apostle of my confession. So when you begin to confess what the Word says about you, Jesus is the sent one to the Father. And I want to ask you a question. What is Jesus saying on your behalf? Is He telling the Father they've given up? They're discouraged. They're wandering around the same mountain for 40 years. They don't get it. Or is Jesus going to the Father and saying, they're, they're agreeing with what I said. Isn't it wonderful when you correct your child and your spouse agrees with the correction? It brings unity within it. Why? You see, I am not worried about so much if there is unity here among us. I am worried if there is unity within you. I am worried if there's unity. There are some people that are so scattered. Their mind is here. Their mouth is saying something, but they're thinking something else. Their heart is somewhere else. And I'm just asking you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will you please get unity in you? 
Will you get your mind to say what your heart is saying? And will you get your heart saying what your spirit is saying? And will you get your mouth to say the same thing that your heart is saying? That is why whatever comes out of you is the truth. If people show you their true colors, believe them because that's what's in them. Jesus said out of the mouth flows the issues of life. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. None of this, well, I didn't really mean it. You did mean it. It was in you. Come right out of you. Nobody had to coax you. Nobody. It was inside of you. Your mouth reveals the state of your heart. Hallelujah. So I'm encouraging you today by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you start confessing and saying the same thing that Jesus said about you so that Jesus can be the apostle of your confession and go to the Father and say the same thing He said about you. Say, Pastor, I just, I just don't feel like I'm saved. Can, you, can, you, can I tell you something? There are some Sundays I don't feel like I'm saved either. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, well, I can testify to that. There are some Sundays I don't want to preach. There are some Sundays I'm in the shower washing my hair thinking, oh, Lord, what else do I have to say? I think I've said it all in ten years. Not that I don't love you. I love you deeply. But I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be like somebody that tries to come up with something new. You ever met preachers that's trying to come up with something new all the time? Try to spook you out? You ever hear, you know, he set up on the beast that drank the blood of the saints and had seven horns, and the seven horns represent the seven nations, and the seven nations represent the, and you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. But yet in the parking lot, if somebody asks you, what did he preach on? I don't know, but it was good. I'm not here to spook you out. I'm here to grow you and challenge you to a deeper level of faith in Jesus. I want you to leave remembering what I said. Not being spooked out. And there's a time and place for the whore that sat on the beast that drunk the blood of the saints and all that stuff and the market. There's a time for that. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Can I tell myself, I was praying at my first church years ago, and I have a tendency to pray in the middle of the night, so it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and the first church I pastored had huge windows, huge, okay? So I'm praying, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm on my knees, and I'm praying in tongues, and worshiping the Lord, and you ever felt that somebody was looking at you? Come on. So as I, as I was in the Spirit, so I stopped, and I looked at the corner of my eye, no joke, you ready? There was a man smoking a cigarette, looking at me in the mirror! You talking about being freaked out? I mean, I crossed myself, prayed in Latin, I did everything I knew, because I'm like, I'm going to die for Jesus right here! I'm going to be a martyr. 
And they're going to come in the morning and their pastor is going to be sacrificed on the altar. You know why? Because I told myself a story that never happened. I mean, I was really freaked out. I was paralyzed, actually. I just st stood there for a long time. And nothing ever happened. I don't know what ever happened to him. And praise God. Aren't you glad that nothing happened to me? <laughs> Maybe that guy heard me pray outside, you know. Maybe he was, like, encouraged that I was praying, you know. Who knows? But anyway, you've got to listen to the right voice. What are you saying about yourself? I'm convinced that we can have the right motion and the wrong motive. We can have the right activity and the wrong attitude. Courage is the feet of faith. And you've got to be courageous if you're going to do with anything in, with God. You've got to be courageous because it is the feet of faith. In other words, you've got to be courageous to step out and say what God says about you. And you've got to step out in your calling in spite of how you feel or the experiences that you had. Courage is the feet of faith faith. The feet of faith. Amen. You know, this story that's in front of us this morning about this blind man, I'm going to be very quick about it. This blind man, a blind man in Matthew chapter 9, let's look at just a few principles of this story that I think will help you to step out on faith and step out in courage to do what God has called you to do. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you five things from this story that will help you to take a courageous faith to believe God and whatever God has told you to do. All right? Number one, you got to use what you have to get there. You got to use what you have to get there. Now, get this. If they could put the scripture, this is interesting to me. And sometimes we read the Bible without actually reading the Bible. Look at this. And I read this Bible, I had to scratch my head because it didn't really make sense at first. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Look at it, Matthew 9, 27. And Jesus departed there, two blind men followed him. Now let's stop right there. How are you going to follow Jesus and you can't see? Not only that, but get this, get this. This is, gets really interesting. So they're crying, son of David, have mercy on Verse 28, and when he came into the house, the blind men came to him. Hold on. How is blind men following Jesus into the house, how is blind men even following him in the first place? Because I get so excited. You know why I believe, number one, you've got to use what you already have. You have to use what you already have. These blind men did not have sight but they used their ears. They didn't have sight, but they still had legs. And sometimes we become paralyzed in our faith and we don't walk in courage because we don't believe we have what it takes to get the job done. And God is saying you don't have to have everything in your little bag to get the job done. You've got to use what I've already given you. If you can't see, I've already given you ears. If you can't see, I've already given you legs. If you can't see, I've given you a nose to smell. You've got to use what I have given you. 
They couldn't see, but they had ears. They couldn't see, but they had legs. They couldn't see, but they had a nose. They used what God had given them. And it takes courage to follow without seeing. It takes courage to rely upon your ears and your sense of smell and your feet when your eyes are the primary focus of your body. It takes courage to do that. And that is why courage is the feet of faith. 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 I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I I'm inadequate. I feel I'm, I'm being courageous. Number two, the God you see is the God you get. The God you see, say that with me. The God I see, everybody say it together. The God I see is the God I get. Now, get this, Matthew chapter 9. How many is with me? i got five minutes left, and I'm just here to teach a Bible study. I'm almost done. Everybody shout hallelujah. I said, are you all with me? I said, are you all with me? Are you with me to the very end? All right, you ready? The God I see is the God I get. Matthew 9, look at this. Pastor Vernell about shouted with this. Okay? Verse 28. Now, these are two blind men. And when they come into the house, the blind men said, came to him, and Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. But I'll go up to verse 27. That's where it's at. Verse 27, Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him crying, saying, son of David, have mercy on me. So the blind men are following Jesus without eyes. They can't see, without sight. They can't see. So they're using what they have, okay, their legs, their ears, their nose, sense of smell. They're using what they have because their desire is found in their pursuit. But not only that, number two, the God you see is the God you get. Because according to verse 27, these blind men said, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now hold on. What does it mean to call Jesus Son of David? Does that mean that His Father is David? And Jesus is the son of David? That's not what it means. The son of David is a messianic term, which means that the Messiah, or what we call the deliverer of the Jews, is going to come through the lineage or the family of David. So these blind men had enough Bible to understand that Jesus, or the Messiah, or the deliverer, is going to come through the lineage or the family of David. In other words, these blind men understood a principle that Jesus is more than a carpenter, that Jesus is more than a man from Galilee, or that Jesus is more from Nazareth. He's more than just a man. There is something special about Him. He is 
the deliverer. He is the one that the prophets prophesied that would come from the house of David. These men understood that Jesus is special because the God that you see is the God that you get. If you view Jesus as a carpenter, he will only fix your house. But if you view Jesus as the Christ, he'll fix your life because the God that you see is the God that you get. Woo! And I want to know, is there anybody in this building that you view God as a deliverer? You view God as a helper? You view God as a bondage breaker? You view God as a way maker? And there's nothing, nothing that can separate what you believe about Him today. Hallelujah. Somebody rejoice in the name of the Lord today. If you view God, if you view God as just a Savior, that's all you're going to experience in life. You're just going to experience salvation. But if you view God as a financial provider, then you better open your eyes and see His provision. If you see God as a healer, He's going to heal your body. If you see God as a deliverer, He will deliver you. If you see God as a way maker and a bondage breaker and a burden lifter, then you will see exactly what you see in God. The reason I believe that some of us live a defeated life is because all you view God is is somebody that saves you from hell. It's just good to have life insurance that I'm not going to go. Let me ask you a question. Let me just break it down. Would you even serve God if hell didn't exist? Because I believe that some people just serve God to get out of hell. And the reason we come to church is try to appease this God above us so that God is not angry with us. What does your heart tell you about God? Would you serve Him if hell didn't exist? That's how you know you really love Him. Are we serving God because we're fearful? Or is it intimate? See, almost done. Two minutes. Number three, the questions you ask determines the conclusions you come to. What did Jesus say? Jesus said this. Verse number 28. The questions you ask determine the conclusions you come to. Get this. And when they come into the house, the blind men came to Him, and Jesus said, Do you believe that I am able to do this. The questions you ask determines the conclusions that you come to. And the men said, Yes, Lord. Sarah, do you believe at your old age you can have a baby? No, sir. That's the wrong question. Second question. Sarah, do you believe that there's anything too hard for God? There's nothing too hard for God. Because the questions you ask determines the conclusions that you come to. Are you able to fulfill the calling of God on your life with your skill set? That's the wrong question. The question you should ask is, did He give me everything that I ever needed that pertains to life and godliness to walk out His will in my life? And the question is, yes. The questions you ask determines the conclusions 
You come to Noah. Are you able to save the whole human race because of their sinfulness? No. Noah. Can you save your eight members of your family? Yes. The questions you ask determines the conclusion that you get. Number four, courage is the feat of faith. Christianity is not a coping Christianity. It's a victorious Christianity. Number five, it's possible that you're that you can have injured faith. What do I mean by injured faith? I'm disappointed. I thought it was going to work out. I had hopes and dreams. And our faith becomes injured. Our faith becomes tamed. Our faith becomes sick. It doesn't mean you don't believe God. and It doesn't mean you don't love God. But our faith is injured. And it's interesting to me that in the King James, it says this, verse number 29, Matthew 9, 29, and he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, your faith, be it unto you. Because listen, his power, conjoined with your faith, equals the supernatural power of God. The reason that some churches have an atmosphere of expectation is because faith is in the building. And when power, God's power, is in conjunction, in conjunction to our faith, it, reduce, it, it, it magnifies the supernatural. Now get this. He touched his eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be unto you. Verse 30, and his eyes, and their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. King James says, and their eyes were restored. The original translation means restored or come back to, to see again. In other words, these men at one point had Saul, and they lost it. It was injured. Their sight was injured, which caused their blindness. And I'm not talking about your physical eyes, even though this is a physical story of physical limitations. I'm talking about what has injured your eyes of faith. What has injured your eyes of faith? What's caused you to go blind spiritually that you can't see beyond your limitation? Is it possible that you can have severe disappointment that injures your faith where you could be righteous and not well? You can be righteous and not living in faith. Samson laid on the lap of Delilah. She cut his hair. He told her the secret of his power. The Bible says the Philistines came in, captured him. And what did they do? Burned his eyes out of the socket. He couldn't see. Because when you lay your head in the lap of the world, you're going to lose your vision. When you lay your head in the lap of discouragement, you'll lose your vision. When you lay your head in the lap of negativity, you're going to lose your sight. You've got to make a decision. You can't lay your head anywhere. Jesus laid his head on a rock at night because he could not 
find a place to sleep. I'd rather lay my head on a hard place than to lay my head on the lap of negativity. So his hair was cut. His eyes was burnt out. But in the end, he's in the temple. The Philistines are making fun of him. His eyes is gorged out of his head. And what does Samson say? With, the, with his eyes gone, Lord, avenge me of my adversary. Help me, Lord. Give me the strength. You know what he was doing? He couldn't see with these eyes. But God had given him another set of eyes. And his faith was restored. And he began to see what God saw. He began to confess what God said. And because of that, great strength came and he overcame the enemy in the end. You've got to start seeing yourself differently and you've got to start talking differently. The, Egypt, the, the Israelites said to, to Moses, you should have left us in Egypt. Because in Egypt, we could at least have garlic and fish. Because when you stay in Egypt a long time, your breath begins to stink. Because you eat garlic. So I could tell you where you're at in your life, but how stinking thinking your breath is when you talk. If you speak negativity over your family, over your spouse, over your kids, over your church, your heart is negative. You have been in Egypt long enough and you have been eating fish and garlic too long. And God is saying it's time to get up, get rid of the garlic, change your appetite because I got milk and honey in a land right in front of you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 